0: People's perceptions and feelings, that's what drives their thoughts and decisions. It's not knowledge and information. You see, most people have it backwards, and what they're doing is they're working really hard to give people better knowledge, more information, more entertaining information, and it's just not working, because that's not what moves people. We're not thinking beings. We're feeling beings, and we use information to rationalize those feelings and beliefs. Once they get that, oh wow, it it changes everything.
1: Hello everyone, my name is Julie Masters and welcome to another episode of Inside Influence in which I delve into the minds of some of the world's most fascinating influencers or experts in influence or people who have dedicated a portion if not all of their lives to understanding the mechanisms behind influence to get to the bottom of what it really takes to own your voice and then amplify it to drive an industry, a conversation, a movement, or a nation. Now, I'm sure you, like me, and 99.9% of the population of this planet, would like to think of yourself as a rational human being. If you look at the dictionary definition of rational, which, yeah, hands up, I have, it is this, based on or in accordance with reason or logic. Reason and logic. Now, I'll take those words, because who doesn't like to think of themselves as a logical and reasonable person? But unfortunately, I've got some news and it's probably not a surprise. We are not as rational as we think that we are. You are not as rational as you think that you are. And I am certainly, and there's a body of evidence larger than I can describe, not as rational as I would like to believe that I am. According to my next guest, most of our day-to-day decisions, they're not carefully evaluated, thought through, weighed up in the frontal cortex, in the part of our brain that does the decision making. But instead they're made beforehand based on our beliefs, personal preferences, working assumptions, each one of those immediately cross-checked against our environment, our background, our desires, our feelings and our mood at any specific moment of any specific day. Most of that is done unconsciously without you even being aware. Sound hard to navigate? Well, unfortunately it is. And as I record this introduction, the aftershock, global protesting and utter heartbreak following the death in custody of George Floyd is very much ongoing. And if that situation teaches us anything, one of those things should certainly be how hardwired, unconscious and often dangerous our belief systems can be. But it's not enough to sit in that knowledge. What comes next is probably the most important question When it comes to understanding influence, and it is this, what does it take to understand, direct, and in this case, redirect our beliefs into new and consistent behavior? Now, my guest today has spent a good portion of his life studying that question, studying the gap between what we say is important, what we say we want to do, and what we actually do, both for individuals, companies, and social movements. As a speaker, writer, and advisor, Tom Asaka takes a different approach to creating momentum, and that approach is about belief, desire, and the physics of action. He's worked with Fortune 500 companies, co-founded a high-tech medical device company, won the George Land Innovator of the Year Award, and is now the author of The Business of Belief, focusing on the hidden logic of behavior. In today's conversation, we, we talk about how to close the gap I mentioned earlier, taking your team your community or yourself from talking the talk to actually walking the walk in the long run why as a leader you have to embrace the desires and beliefs of those you are trying to influence especially when the horizon is uncertain and i don't i don't mean just acknowledge those beliefs which was actually to be honest a shift in my own thinking but instead find a place where you can authentically own them as your own how to get over past experiences and stories that impact how you show up so you can arrive at a situation open but still armed with certainty and why it's physically impossible to hit a baseball. Now that sounds weird and like it would have nothing to do with influence but it has everything to do with waiting for the right moment versus swinging with intent and trusting that you have the muscle to follow through when the angle becomes clear. Now what I want you, what I would love for you to reflect on in this episode is how hidden, just how hidden and how hardwired our beliefs can be. We are complex and multi-dimensional beings who bring our entire history and belief system to every table and every conversation. Now that's often really hard to accept and it can be feel almost impossible to deal with. However, by first just accepting that, and then committing to excavate understand and work with somebody else's beliefs as well as our own we get to start walking the fastest and most powerful road to influence that i know so take a seat let the logical world go for a while hard as i know that that is right now and open your mind to the thoughts and ever flexible beliefs of tom asak Welcome to the podcast, Tom Asaka.
0: Thank you. It's great to be with you. Thanks.
1: I'm going to kick off with a question that usually I give guests a little bit of a heads up on. I think I gave you approximately 30 seconds just then to, to talk about what is the most influential idea you've heard recently. And, and the reason for asking is that I just find that interesting, influential people tend to have access to some really interesting, influential ideas. So... What's the What's the one that's been playing at the back of your mind, just whizzing around?
0: Yeah, this is very recently, and I'm not sure I'm going to be able to articulate it uh, in a way for everyone to really understand what's behind it. And and again, that's why I'm playing with it in my own mind. But I was listening to an author talk about the transition from the hunter-gatherer societies to the agricultural society, and in his mind, at least from what I understood, that was the transition primarily the transition from a cooperative civilization and culture to a competitive one. Because prior to agriculture and the, and farming and raising animals, the ability to store food and and even property, to own property, that 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 didn't exist. So if you were with a hunter-gatherer tribe that was moving along in the world, you all relied on each other and you all cooperated with each other because there were there were no personal stores of of uh, sustenance of safety, if you will. And and once once that happened, once we had agriculture, then we had the ability now to competitive so that you know I don't want other people to come and attack me and take my food or my land you know it's just that that's when it turned into this um, uh, I would say that's probably when people's narrative identities really kicked into the full gear and they started being really concerned about the me 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 because they had something that they were striving for something that they were trying to hold on to something that they were protecting so that, that struck me as very interesting, and I'm gonna do some deep dives into that to find out whether it makes sense to me. Again, because it's an opinion nobody really <laughs> knows, but it seems to make sense.
1: But it's also, if you're if you, just thinking about that as you're talking, it's the birth of entrepreneurialism, right? Like if I, it's the birth of that creative creation thought process where, all right, if I can manage to stockpile 10%, of what I've created here I can then barter that 10% with somebody else in order to in order to get something else and then those that were able to do that the most efficiently obviously then a hierarchy emerges a financial hierarchy emerges mm-hmm. and you have those with little and those with a lot and then you get you know I'm skipping <laughs> hundreds of thousands of years here but you get to the situation where you know x percentage 2% of the population owns 90% of the resources of the population.
0: Exactly. I mean, imagine if there, if there were no ability to store wealth, every, every meeting that you have, everyone in your organization would be critical to your success because you'd need to continually innovate and deliver value daily. There's not, there's no laurels to rest on if there's no way of accumulating wealth and power. So, uh, yeah, I think, I think you're right.
1: Mm, that's really interesting all right I'm going to come back to you when you've had a chance to dive into that' we'll, okay we'll, we'll come back and jump into that I want to kick off I wanted to get, kick off today by talking a little bit about the gap the gap that exists between what we what we commit to doing and what we actually do what we think is a a good idea what we believe we should do, what all the facts are pointing us towards, and then what we do and i I was actually I was watching a video of you speaking and you were saying you know <laughs> You still buy bottled water? And I, I sat there and I was, I was thinking, well, do you know what? I have bought so many of those bags, you know, those keep bags, so you don't use plastic yes. bags. Right. I have bought so many of those and they're all in my kitchen and I keep meaning to put them back in the car and then I bring them into the house and I forget to put them back into the car. And I know better. And if we, if we look at even during COVID-19, especially here in Australia, you know, we, we had all the information quite early on. And yet the beaches in Bondi were still full on the weekend. Mm-hmm. What is, I mean, if we are all rational, caring, um, future-driven human beings, that's a big if. What is the gap? What is that gap?
0: Yeah, so that if is that if is uh, in my opinion, not not in, it's not accurate. We are not rational to begin with. Uh, we We are. Like other creatures, we're driven by our perceptions and our feelings in in the moment, in the environments that we're in. <clears throat> we do have information that's that's stored that allows us to get it and use it when we need to. but we're we're typically not moving through the world evaluating our decisions because we 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 can't really do that. You know you would you'd have to really look at everything you do. And and make a decision and say, okay, is this good or bad relative to whatever is important to, your, to you, to your values, for the environment, for my children, for my health. So you, you make this big list and then you throw all this stuff on a list and then you start moving through the world. And then tomorrow everything changes. There's new products, new services, new brands, uh, new information. Uh, what used to be good isn't good anymore. Eggs used to be good for you. Now eggs are bad for you. So you can't keep up with it. It's impossible. The human brain just can't do it. So what you do is you create these beliefs, which are beliefs of personal preferences. They're working assumptions based on what makes the most sense to you on your desires and your feelings and your moods. Um, I mean, there are times, think about it. There are times where your mood will change and you'll make a different decision just because you're in a different mood, different feeling state, if you will. So that, that's number one. Number two, are, are we caring creatures? I think we're born caring creatures. I mean, I, I spent a lot of time with three-year-olds, and they are caring creatures. But I think we are conditioned out of that, and part of it, or a big part of it, is that last thing that you said That's when you said that we are future-oriented. That is very true, but we're future-oriented from a personal standpoint. So if you look to most people, they're trying to make sure their future is good. They're not really too concerned about Jim, who lives in France's future. He's not even on their radar screen. So, so that's, that's really why it looks like we're inconsistent and incoherent in the choices that we make based on what we tell people we believe. And and if you want to uh, to see what people actually believe, all you have to do is watch what they do. What they do are their beliefs, not what they say. What they say is what they would like to do. It's like wishful thinking, but it's not their belief. Their belief is what they actually do.
1: And that's the the link between belief and, and influence, right? If you if you want to have influence over Somebody, yourself included, you need to deeply understand or get deeply curious about their belief system, which then raises a really obvious question for me, which I don't have an answer and I'm, I'm hoping that you do. If we are so unconscious about our own beliefs, how does anybody stand a cat's chance in hell of <laughs> becoming conscious enough about somebody else's beliefs to have any kind of an influence there?
0: Yeah, that that's, the, that's like the most important critical step about when you're trying to influence anyone is to first understand what their desires and their beliefs are. Um, That is not an easy thing to do, right? I mean, like you said, we don't even understand our own desires and beliefs many times. So you, you can take a look at what they do to try to intuit why they do what they do, what their desires could be behind that um you know you have to be really uh, compassionate and empathetic the best way to get a good feeling for it is to be a user or a shopper or to to be your own audience you know to love the things that you that you're doing you hear that all the time with entrepreneurs they you know they say well no I didn't do any market research I I just love this technology so if you're into the technology or the product or the service, whatever it is, really deeply, if I were if I loved to, to go mountain biking and I had an impulse to create something that to improve a mountain bike, I can probably be assured that other people that love mountain biking would desire the same thing because I'm into it like they're into it. It's it's when you're not part of that audience, when you're trying to figure them out from the outside, that's where a lot of entrepreneurs and innovators make big mistakes because they make assumptions that, oh, OK, I know what people want. They want this. And then they'll work really hard to provide this, whatever it is, to the marketplace and people will ignore it. And then they can't understand that. They'll, they'll think that they'll say things like, well, people are irrational. I created this better thing and they don't want it. Well, they didn't desire it. And desire is what drives success in the marketplace of, of any kind of product, idea, service, religion. It doesn't matter what it is. It's all driven by people's desires.
1: I'm thinking particularly at the moment with you know the, the riots that are happening in the U.S. and the protests across the world, how... Seemingly unsurmountable it is to try and change the beliefs of people who feel very different to you, whose lives look very different, whose experiences of the world are very different. Is, how do you do that? If it's not possible to walk in their shoes, do you, do you appeal to basic humanity? Do you, are there some things that are constant across everybody?
0: Yeah. I mean, there are things that are constant across everybody, things like fairness uh, control. Uh, you know, people want a sense of control. Progress. People want to believe they're going to progress in life, and that their children will progress in life. Uh, people want uh, want to be hopeful. So all of those types of things you can appeal to, but you have to appeal to them in a very pragmatic way. So you have to tie. Something that you're trying to accomplish, something that you really want to work hard on and change, tie it to those universal feelings that people have, and then people will start paying attention because we're, we're too used to people telling us how they feel and that, oh, I understand what you feel and I, and and nothing happens. So it's, it's like people have been fooled too many times. And so we don't have belief or really trust because trust comes from experiencing something over and over and over again. That's how we trust. We say, okay, I, I, I've worked with this person for so long. I trust them now. You know, they, they've proven to me that they, that they, that I can trust them. But, um, yeah, people are looking for actual change to address whatever their particular feelings and desires and concerns are around those universal values that that you so rightly pointed out.
1: You you also said um, that an effective leader knows that the essential first step towards bridging the gap, that gap we're talking about, and we're gonna be talking about this gap from lots of different angles in today's conversation, um, and changing people's behavior is to embrace their desires and beliefs. And I just got really curious about that word embrace. Like, is it, do you need to embrace them as in fully own them as your own? Or is it enough just to acknowledge them? Is it enough just to acknowledge, I understand you feel this way. I don't, but I understand this is how you feel. And I'm going to factor that into whatever we come up with here.
0: Mm. Yeah, the, re- the reason that I use the word embrace is because typically, once you understand what their desires and beliefs are, you're going to have to go out and make some really difficult choices and you're going to have to be passionate in the way you persuade others to adopt those changes that you want to make so if you don't embrace what the other person is actually feeling what their desires are and what their beliefs are it's going to be difficult for you to have that authentic passion in your voice in your presence in order to drive some of these really, really difficult changes that need to take place. Because that's what we're talking about here. We're we're talking about changing things, if you're talking about a political system, changing things that are going to upset a lot of people. That's just kind of how it works. So if you can't bring parties together to understand how is this going to all work and benefit everyone, then you have to be passionate about making it work for everyone. People will sniff it out. They'll say, Oh boy, here we go again. This is just another politician telling us things to calm us down. We've been through this and we we don't, you know, we don't like it. We've we've heard it all before. So it's gonna require real action and real change. And that only comes if you believe in the change. Because if you don't believe in the change, you're not gonna push through the barriers that are gonna come your way as you try to make that change.
1: You you defined a belief as, a, as a, a working assumption about something or someone based on predictions from past experiences. And you've just touched upon it again there, you know, past. We come at a situation loaded with stories from our past experiences. You know, that becomes the lens through which we view everything. And But it also be, becomes a barrier then. it Not only have you got to commit to making a change, um, do something differently, but you have to get through All those stories of how it's been before what are the keys to to getting over getting through getting past those stories that impact our beliefs
0: Mm -hmm. yeah that's a that's a really difficult one because in in essence what you have to do I can tell you how to do it personally it's more difficult to tell you how to get other people to do it but personally what you have to do is you have to pretty much just tell yourself that you're starting fresh, that you're sitting in your chair and all you are right now is potential and energy and the knowledge that you have in your head may be useful or may not be useful, but you're going to bring it to the situation and you're going to look at the situation and you're going to be curious about it. Is this true? Is this why this is happening? Is that a possible solution to what is happening? Can, can I, can I make a small bet on that possible solution and see if it's actually a solution to the problem? You know, you're going to have to be compassionate about the people that you're, that you're going to influence as you go through this process. And then like a child, you get creative and you try different ideas to see what, what will come out of it. This all applies to yourself as well. I mean, you sit there and you say, okay, look, I know I've done all these things in the past. That's great. But the past is not who I am right now. Who I am right now is pure potential, sitting right here. What do I want to do with all of that knowledge, that training, all of those connections, my abilities? How can I help based on what I'm seeing out in the world right now, which is much different than what I saw five years ago? And it's a difficult thing to do because people they bring their identity with them everywhere they go and they don't want to let that go because they think it was some hard earned i don't know asset they look at identity as an asset and they say well i i spent a lot of time and money and schooling and hard knocks and i and i'm here now and i want to hold on to this but that's unfortunately not how the world works you have to work with the world <laughs>
1: it's it's going to do its thing anyway, whether you, whether you work with it yeah, or not. No, yeah,
0: exactly. If you want to dance with it, dance with it, you know, but you don't, you don't walk up to someone uh, on a dance floor and say, I do the waltz. Do you want to do the waltz? And they listen to the song and they go, well, this is a rock and roll song. And you say, well, that's not my identity. It's just not going to work. You can try it, but it won't work.
1: It's- one of the most powerful books i've i've read recently and i read it i actually read it at, at christmas time i was struggling to do usually spend a few days looking at the year projecting out personally business wise and for some reason this year i just couldn't i couldn't do it i couldn't i couldn't get into their headspace it wasn't working and my husband gave me this book and he said well maybe you should just read this instead and which went again my against my entire identity to not plan and it was a book called The Surrender Experiment, and it was such an incredibly powerful book, and it speaks to exactly what you were just talking about there, which I have come to believe is one of the most fundamental parts of influence, which is showing up open. You, I mean, there's still room there for your will. I show up with the highest intent. I show up exactly. with world-class contribution. I show up and I will bring my wholehearted self to whatever is going on here but I show up open. I have no preconceived ideas about how it should be and no preconceived ideas about the role that I should play in it.
0: That's perfect. That That is such a difficult thing to do, but it is so empowering because you now get to learn and, and adjust and do improv as the situation starts to unfold. Instead of trying to direct, which is a narrative, is trying to direct the story and becoming frustrated and then going home and saying, what did I do wrong? Because every time something doesn't work out according to your plan, you start looking at yourself and saying, what, what did I do? What should I have done when in fact it was the environment and what was going on in the environment that you just didn't, you didn't adjust to, you didn't flow with it. You didn't dance with it. And so it relieves a lot of that kind of guilt and stress. Uh, this idea that, to, you know, this belief that you can predict the future and will the future into existence. That's not true. It's an illusion.
1: But what, what showing up that way does, what I have found is that you notice the breadcrumbs, which is languaging I've started to use in my own head. I, when I am out of that control space and I am in a more surrendered, fully present, fully shown up space, I notice the breadcrumbs oh, there's a breadcrumb, I'll pick that up, that's interesting. There's another breadcrumb, I'll pick that up, that's interesting. And before you know it, a path, I'll say emerges, um, becomes clearer because you are in an open enough space to, to pick up on the clues, notice the symptoms, um, start picking up on whatever the feeling is that points you in a certain direction. But if you're so dogmatic about how this is going to go, which I you know, have certainly been in my life, there's no room there. You know that saying. You're so busy headbutting a closed door that you don't notice the open window.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've been there myself. <laughs>
1: so, I don't. I'm not quite sure how we got there, but that I think that showing up open when, when it comes to working with somebody else's belief system, it feels like showing up open would be just like rule number one.
0: It seems that way, doesn't it? Yeah, I, I'd never used the. I like the the breadcrumb metaphor. The metaphor I typically have used in the past is, um, connecting dots. So if you walk into, into any kind of situation and you already have a picture in your mind about that situation, that's what you're going to leave that situation with is that picture, either frustration about it, confusion about it. But if you walk in and you surrender and you let the situation create the dots in your mind, like the stars appearing in the night sky, all of a sudden you start seeing a picture forming. And then you can take that picture, create a hypothesis, and test some assumptions around that. It, so it, it breathes new life into this image because you didn't walk in with a preconceived image or notion about what was going to happen or what everything was all about.
1: And have you noticed that there's an importance there of articulating it? Of, show, especially in high intensity situations where the stakes are high to actually show up and say, you know, I'm, I want you to know my intention today is I'm completely open. I, w- I want to hear, I want to know everything, whatever's gone on in the past is, is irrelevant now. And we're here to create from this point. And I'm open to pretty much anything and everything. If that's true, is it important to articulate upfront if, you're going to have the most influence possible in that moment.
0: See, that's a, that's a good question because sometimes being overt with, by saying that I'm here to do this, it sometimes creates disbelief. You know, it's kind of like with a used car salesman (laughs) saying, you know, I'm here for you. I'm doing this for you. And then, you know, he's not. So uh, I I, I think one of the best leaders I ever had, um, And this was years and years ago when I worked as an executive with GE, but prior to, prior to advancing up the executive ranks, I had a manager and I remember years later, somebody said to me, who was, who was the best leader you ever had? And I mentioned this guy's name and they said, why was he the best leader? And I said to them, because I honestly can't remember him talking at all. (laughs) (laughs) You know, we, we had very few meetings. He wasn't giving us his opinion all the time. He wasn't trying to give us these motivational talks. He would sit us down and look at us and say, we, this is what we have to accomplish. Here are some of the obstacles and problems. I'm not the expert on, on how to pull this off. You all are come on and let me know what I can do to get the barriers out of your way. And, and just go do it. I trust you. I'll, I'll protect you. Go make it happen and that's what people want people want to feel empowered they want to feel in control they want to feel that they're the ones making things happen and that you've got their back that's the most important part it's like hey i've got your back if we're if we all have the same intent right then i've got your back and here's our intent does everybody agree on the intent yes okay let's go let's go try things
1: I mean, that's just one of the most beautiful definitions of, of leadership or of showing up as an ally, is, you know, what do you need? Let me clear a path for you. I'm going do, more. I've got your back, I'm gonna clear the path as much as humanly possible. You go and, and do what you do, and I will hold a container for you.
0: It sounds simple, doesn't
1: it? <laughs> it just sounds so beautifully simple. <laughs> Why is it so hard? <laughs>
0: But truthfully, why it's so hard and I've and I've actually been studying this and trying to figure it out myself with the companies I've worked with and organizations over the years is that most organizations don't know where they're going. So they can't really clear a path. And it's because they're confused about what they're doing, how they're going to get there. The best approaches to take. So what they do instead of letting instead of giving people. Or empowering people. To make things happen, they're not even really sure themselves, so they have to measure now, all the time, and have meetings and discuss things constantly. And it's basically because they're nervous, they're anxious. You know, it would be like it would be like somebody that's um, that's in the kitchen, and there's a, a huge group of important people coming for dinner, and you're in the kitchen, and you're bothering all the people that are cooking. Saying, well, uh, how soon before that's done? How hot is that supposed to be? You know, you're ruining everything in the kitchen because you're nervous about everything, about the outcome. And, and so, if people can just understand that the outcome is unknown, the only thing that's known is the process. So, your intention and your process are the things that are known. What's going to happen is unknown. And, and goodness, if what we're in today doesn't show people, go ask people and say, hey, you know that five-year plan that you did last year? How's it working?
1: I used to have this saying with with my team, and and it came from, you know, hard, to talk about identity, hard-won experience of, of knowing what was within a sphere of control and, and what wasn't, you know, it really came from falling on my ass a lot of times, right. and the saying just said you know i will only i will only ever judge you on your attitude and your activity they're the only two things within your sphere of control that's it and that's what we will talk about that's what we will focus on and that will be what i will question if things don't go according to plan it won't be that i have any kind of a belief that you can make something happen
0: see that's perfect that's perfect if people would just set up some really simple measurements that, that are related to the direction that they want to head and then work the process, say to people, okay, how does how do these measurements look? Okay. They look pretty good. You know, like you said, we're not going to hold you, you know, like if you miss it, we're not going to sit here and berate you. But what processes do you think we can put into place that will help us move towards this goal, these numbers? And then you sit down with people and you say, what, what were the assumptions that we made about the processes that were wrong? Or how can we improve it? How can we add to it if they were right? But we, we walk in thinking we know everything. That's the problem.
1: I'm, actually, I'm going to come full circle here because I can feel the, the CEO leadership hat of mine kicking in here. <laughs> and, you know, that little voice and and the voice is going well okay so we you know we sit down and we we agree on the process and and, and we're all agreed that this is what it's going to take this is what we believe we have an assumption that this is what it's going to take to get from a to b now if everybody right. did that thing and we didn't hit b that would be one conversation right you'd be saying okay let's right. just let's look at the process what needs tweaking here what assumptions did we make about this system that that are not accurate but that right. is not what happens and that takes us right back to the beginning of this conversation what happens is we agree on the process and then you come back in a week later, a day later, a month later, whatever it is. And you go, how did that process go? And they go, "Yeah, what, no, that just, you know, that didn't quite happen because this came up and then, you know, such and such. And and it just didn't feel right. And, and this is not on anybody else because I would do this every single day, no. every <laughs> single element it. of my own life. But that just brings us it. right back to the beginning. Which is that, you know, if input were all that were required, if decoding a process were all that were required, we would all be, we would all have six packs for a start. And we, would, <laughs> we would all be incredibly successful. So what is that? And and I'm going to slightly twist it because you've talked about beliefs now. But what, dri- like what, what drives our beliefs? So we know that we have to work with people's beliefs. But if we went one layer under their beliefs, what lives under there?
0: So the word belief, it comes from the Middle English word root leaf, and that means to wish. So to believe in something means that you wish it to be that way. And that's based on your values, your identity, your specific desires. So if you believe in a process, you want to do that process. So if someone is working with you and they, and you say to them, do you have a, do you want to do this? Do you want to work here and do this process? And they say, I do. And and you say, do you want to improve it? Do you want to get better at it? Do you like doing it? I do. And then if you say to them, okay, good. Listen, let's not wait a month to review the results. If, Anything comes up any day from the time you leave this office that prevents you from doing that process, this thing that you love to do and get better at. You stop, you come into my office, and you tell me what it is that's getting in your way. Because the person at the end at the end of the month, that and you look at the process and they said, well, this came up and that came up, they shouldn't be telling you at the end of the month. They should walk into your office on Monday and say, Bob just walked into my office, pulled me off of what I'm working on and told me to go work on this. Is that what you want me to do as the leader? And so you say, no, I'll talk to Bob. You get back to working your process because that's what happens to a lot of people is they have peers, other managers, other department heads that come in and they pull them off of whatever it is that they're engaged in and get them going in a different direction. And as the leader, your job is to get that stuff out of their way or to find out whether you need more resources, but you, you need to give people work that they love to do, take away from them things that they hate to do and let them go work the process and find out what it is about the process that's not working because now you don't have a motivation pro- problem. It's not hey I didn't want to do it. It's something else because they told you they do want to do it. This is what they love to do. And if they don't love to do it, find them find something that they do love to do, and get them engaged in that.
1: You know I'm just thinking that 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 works really well, and I think that that is an incredible framework for for any kind of a conversation, any kind of a leadership conversation. Because firstly, it identifies, do you want to do this? Which I think the the dance that often goes on between leadership and and any other function is the assumption that they want to do it. You're here, so therefore you must want to do this. And the, the self-sabotaging behavior of someone that's here but doesn't really want to be here. So I think that that conversation is beautiful because it calls that out early and it gives permission to talk about what do you want to do? Where are you driven here? Where are you pulled? What's pulling you in? What's pulling you away? I love that. And it also relies on a hierarchical structure. And I'm going back again to movements because it's just where my my head and my heart is being called at the moment, at this moment in time. And where there is no hierarchy, there is no binding force other than um, the voluntary submission of time energy resources um, emotional capacity what do we do then I mean if you're trying to hold a movement together and there is a process there is a road that you know needs to be walked and it's a long-term road it's this is not a quick fix we need to get from here to here and this is a long haul and every single person I need to bring with me is here on a voluntary basis how do you? How do you hold them in then when there's no formalized structure? There's no implicit agreement. There's no explicit agreement in the form of a contract. People's lives literally are calling them back every minute of every day. You know, we need you. This needs to be done. The kids need to be fed. You know, my parents are getting sick. I know that this is a huge question, but how do we do what you just described in that environment?
0: Here's the problem with movements if you want the movement to be more than an impetus for whatever this status quo is to make change. So if you're not really, if you're not invested in the particular change and when I say particular, I don't mean, um, you, you know, some, um, uh, high level value I'm talking about actual boots on the street legislative change, some type of change that that you look at and you say, okay, this is exactly what we want to have happen, then you're going to have a problem. And I try to make this clear to people in the past that you cannot have a process that achieves something without knowing exactly what it is you're trying to achieve. That doesn't mean that you set your goals small, it just means that you that you have to break down the goal into achievable goals you have to say to yourself okay what is it today that we want to work on and see and and have happen let's get to the hard work of making that thing happen whatever that thing happens to be that's going to advance movement towards this future that you want to live in you can't get to the future in one fell swoop it's just it doesn't ever happen like that in anything you don't you don't do it like that you know that's like you know that's like having like a two-year-old and then asking somebody how do i get my two-year-old into college without going through all that other bullshit
1: there's a there's a quote that you that you mentioned a while ago which does tie into what you just said and it's J.R.R. R. Tolkien quote, which is a single dream is more powerful than a thousand realities. Which, no. <laughs> you know, often doesn't feel that way, right? You're like, no, reality is pretty powerful right now. Like, oh, <laughs> reality is is you know punching me in the face right now, and it's it's pretty real. But the going back to that leadership question, the ability to be able to articulate a vision, a dream. This is where we want to get to. this is what we are committed to, and this is what is necessary along the way. Does your influence as a leader depend on your ability to be able to articulate clearly and in a compelling way what that end vision is?:
0: I don't think so uh, if it if, if well, if the end vision interesting like um, you know, Elon Musk launching something into space after 18 years of work. If that, if that's what's required, if the end vision is actually something that the whole team had to work on to make happen, I would say yes. But there are some organizations, some missions, some teams that it's not necessarily the end vision or the goal that drives everyone. It's the values. It's the purpose. Of the organization. It's the meaning. Behind. Look we we come to work every day. And we are doing this to improve people's lives. And. We don't have. An ultimate goal. Our goal is to continue to do this great work. And to to, to help people. And to help each other. So I I don't necessarily think it needs this put a man on the moon type of vision to get everybody involved. I think what you have to do is you have to say to people, we have a shared value system. We care about each other. We want to continue to innovate and to help people. And we want you to be part of that process, that experience with us. And I think that that, that can be even more motivating. Than a big vision, because somebody said to me, "Well, if you don't think you're going to achieve the goal, then nobody would be motivated." I don't believe that for a minute. You know, you look at professional sports teams. There are professional sports teams that, that at the beginning of the year, everyone that looks at them knows they aren't going to win anything. They're not going to win the Super Bowl, the World Series. They're not going to. But does that prevent them from being motivated? to going out and playing the best game that they can play and trying to win every time they go out to be the best they can be, to be great athletes, to be great friends, to, to be the best personally that they can be on the field? No, because they love the game. It's love that's driving people, the love of the process, of the game, whatever it happens to be, whether it's work, sports, it doesn't matter. You know, it's funny. I, I, I heard, um, I'm trying to remember what I was listening to. I think it was, uh, Howard Stearns. He was talking to Jerry Seinfeld and he said something to Seinfeld. He said that he, he said, you know, I, I was thinking to myself that it was possible because he was talking about how he made it in radio and how hard he worked to make a living in radio. And he, he said, you know, I, I, it was, I, I, I finally realized it's possible to will yourself Maybe not to be the greatest in the world, but to certainly get what you want. And and Jerry Seinfeld said to him, he said, no, he said, let me me adjust your perspective a little bit here. That wasn't will. What you were using is love. When you love something, it's a bottomless pool of energy. That's where the energy comes from. But you have to love it sincerely, not because you're going to make a lot of money from it or get famous or get whatever you want. When you do it because you love it, then you can find yourself moving up and getting really good at something you wanted to be really good at. And that's, that's it with all of these missions. You get the people that love the process, the movement, the orientation towards wherever it is, and you fuel that passion and things happen.
1: I'm just going to pick up on the, on the sports there. You 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 told this beautiful story, on in one of the the speeches that you did, and it was about baseball, and it being scientifically impossible to hit um, a major nice. league baseball. <laughs> <laughs> and that story just it stuck with me for days because I was thinking, well, if it's sci- if it's scientifically impossible to hit it, then it, then how do people hit it? <laughs> And I think that that just ties, I want you to tell the story, but I just think it ties in beautifully with what you were just saying, which is, you know what, you, you turn up, you tune in to your own belief system or you try and tune into somebody else's belief system. And then you follow the process. And then somewhere magic happens. It might not be the magic of, you know, a man on Mars, a woman on Mars. But there's going to be some magic, magical breadcrumbs that are going to appear.
0: Exactly true. If you if you believe in that, if you have faith in that process, it will appear. And that's that's the point about the baseball. Um, I played some baseball, and uh, I ended up quitting at the point where they started throwing the baseball. You know, at ninety miles an hour, it it it,
1: (laughs) which would seem to be quite an integral part of the game of
0: baseball. (laughs) (laughs) it's interesting. I mean, you can stand there and you can swing that bat at that ball all day long and you can be an an athlete and you will never hit it. You won't even touch it. That's how fast it's moving. Okay. So it takes, I'll give you the math, right? So your listeners can have the math. So it takes around 250 milliseconds for your body, you know, your, your muscles and bones and tendons after your brain signals it to take a swing, a full swing. So the visual reaction time for your eyes and your mind to actually see the ball is about 200 milliseconds. So you you add them up and you've got 450 milliseconds from the time your eyes and brain see the ball to when you finish swinging, 450 milliseconds. But here's the problem. A fastball leaves the pitcher's hand and gets past you to the catcher's mitt in about 400 milliseconds. So 50 milliseconds faster than your brain can perceive, make a decision and take the action of swinging. (laughs) So you can't hit it. You logically can't sit there and hit it. So what you have to do is you have to go against those instincts, You have to work with someone who's trained at this and you have to basically start swinging before you see the ball, before it gets to you. You have to start shifting your body and shifting your hips and your legs before the ball's even there or you'll never hit it. And it's the same thing. It's the same thing with business. It's the same thing with the missions. You have to see what it is. You have to know it. You have to feel it. I got it. And then when your instincts come in and they start telling you, oh, no, no, this is what you have to do. You know what most people's instincts are telling them right now? Sit still and wait. Those are the exact wrong instincts to follow. Now is not the time to sit still and wait. Now is the time to go out there, to connect, to discover, to try new things. Not to sit still and wait. Because it's not like all of a sudden a, flip, a switch is going to flip and everything's going back to the way it was. That's not going to happen. So it's, it's can you go against your instincts when your instincts are telling you things to do that are not the right thing to do at the right time? And professional athletes can do that because they've been trained to do it. and And professional entrepreneurs can do it because they've been trained through pain, you finally realize, oh, I, I can do this. I can go against this feeling that I have. I've done it before and I'm still here.
1: Also, the one of the primary skills I think of not just entrepreneurs but anyone, anyone who is in the business of creating, which I would you know, hazard a guess, is pretty much everybody. We are all in the business of creating, whether we were creating our lives, creating our careers, creating our families, creating a business, creating a woman, man on the moon or Mars. To swing, and I just love that metaphor, to swing before you see the ball. Just move. Start. Start swinging. You don't have to see the ball right now. But if you begin then, you know, the ball's gonna come. And when it comes, it's gonna be quick. And so you'd better be ready. And if you're sitting there waiting until you see the ball, waiting until, you know, an opportunity jumps in your lap, you're not gonna be ready. It's not, that's gonna go right past you, straight into the catcher's mitt. So to, to swing first, swing first before you see the ball. And to do that by practicing, getting the right people around you, and focusing on your beliefs, you know, do I, and having people around you who believe the same things. The very last question, I'm going to ask you one more. If you had one very short piece of advice for somebody who was sat there right now trying to, trying to move a team, trying to move an idea, trying to move a movement forwards and continually falling into what we talked about at the beginning, that gap, between what people say that they want and what they will actually show up to do. What would the, what would you have one piece of, if they do one thing tomorrow morning when they wake up?
0: Probably most, the most important thing that I would tell them. And, and it's so counterintuitive that they really need to, to, to dive deep into it to really fully grasp it. And once they do everything will change for them. But it's to understand that people's, perceptions and feelings, that's what drives their thoughts and decisions. It's not knowledge and information. You see, most people who have it backwards, and what they're doing is they're working really hard to give people better knowledge, more information, more entertaining information, and it's just not working because that's not what moves people. We're not thinking beings. We're feeling beings, and we use information to rationalize those feelings and beliefs. Once they get that, oh, wow, it it changes everything. It changes everything because they'll no longer get frustrated by what's going on. They'll They'll just develop a deeper curiosity for what's going on. But once you think that people are moved rationally by information and knowledge, and you give them all of the information and knowledge that you believe makes sense you'll be frustrated to no end because that's not how they think that's not how people behave so that'd be the one one piece of information
1: well tom thank you thank you so much for your time
0: appreciate it. it's been a lot of fun
1: Thanks so much for listening. We really hope you enjoyed this episode and found tons and tons of useful ideas and insights for growing your own influence. Now, for those of you who want to take the next step in your influence journey, you want to take everything you have learned today and just ramp it up a notch, or you just want to learn more about the power of thought leadership when it comes to growing a business, an enterprise or spreading an idea, there is now also a research paper that you can download from my website juliemasters.com pop in your email address it is free we will not spam you but it is jam-packed full of all the ideas tools and case studies that i have come across in 10 years of doing this work it's called the influencer code it's not long but it is full of value so download it keep it share it juice it for all it is worth i hope that it makes a massive difference in your career or business. Thank you always to our producer, co-founder, and the main brain, I'm not joking, behind the Inside Influence podcast, Lauren Kelly. In the words of Jerry Maguire, you complete me. And if you did enjoy the show, then we would love you to share this podcast and leave us a review on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, whatever your platform of choice happens to be. And don't forget to subscribe to make sure that you never miss an interview.